The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Mike and Judy Cunningham are harvesting the last summer crops at Country Gardens Farm. Fall gardening is just beginning. Mike takes a break to talk with us about his favorite time of the year in the garden. Some of the things you'll discover in this episode are the best practices Mike implements for soils, plant selections, and timing, all important for successful fall harvest. Mike and Judy Cunningham have been teaching people how to grow, cook, and preserve good organic food for over 10 years. Country Gardens Farm is a third-generation family farm growing a wide assortment of organic year-round vegetables for sale to the community from their three-acre farm. Mike, with lots of input from Judy, authored his successful Seven Steps to an Organic Vegetable Garden. You will remember Mike's openness in sharing his successful methods for growing good food in our inaugural episode one of the Garden Question podcast. This episode 73, Fall Organic Vegetable Gardening, an edited and remixed version of episode 17 with Mike Cunningham. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Mike, why plant a fall vegetable garden? Fall vegetable garden is probably one of my favorite gardens to grow. You're going into a cooler time of the year, which is a little easier on us to get outside and work. As we get into the latter part of that fall garden, we usually the insects are a little bit less. Plus, it's a time when we're growing a lot of really nutritious vegetables. All of our leafy greens are grown during that time and our root crops are grown during that time. Those are some of the most nutritious vegetables that we can grow in the garden. So it can mean a lot to our health to grow a fall garden. Where I live, below Atlanta, Georgia, we can garden here 12 months out of the year by doing a few little extra coverings. Fall and the early spring of the year, we can grow all of these great healthy vegetables that time of year. Not a time necessarily for our tomatoes and green beans, peppers and things like that, but it is a time where we grow a lot of broccolis and cauliflowers and leafy greens and carrots and things that are good for us. Once we get that little kiss of frost, late October, November, it really sweet sweetens up a lot of the fall vegetables and makes them even taste even better. How do you protect the plants from the cold weather? Everyone's a little bit different. Frost on a lot of these plants is not going to hurt anything. Our lettuces will take a pretty hard freeze. Our spinach will go on into the winter months. Our collards, they'll take a heavy freeze. So a lot of things you don't have to protect until it gets down in the low 20s or teens. There are times when we need to cover a few things, and we use a row cover, which is a fun material, cloth. You could also use, if you just got a small garden and you want to use a bed sheet, that'll work too. If you cover the whole plant, 
it's best to have some kind of a piece of wire or some kind of a piece of PVC pipe or something bent over the top of it, kind of hold the cloth off of the plant, but then let it drape down all the way to the ground on each side. Use some rocks or something heavy to weight it down on either side. You can extend your season and grow on into the winter months using row cover is what we call it, any kind of cloth. We try to avoid plastic, although it'll work problem with plastic is as it gets into the next day and the sun comes out bright boy it gets hot on there really quick unless you're johnny on the spot and get that plastic off in time you can cook your plants how is a fall crop different from a summer crop just the kind of plants that we can plant that time of year. You've got certain plants that are adapted to growing in the cooler months of the year. The seed won't germinate unless you've got cooler soils. It's the kind of plants going to grow better during that time of year. Everything has a season. Cool of the crops are going to be the ones that are going to produce better for our climate anyway, for fall and plant again for early spring with some of those same things. Are there some varieties that you need to start in the fall that will carry over to the summer or to the spring? There are a few things that we plant in the fall year that we don't harvest until the next spring. Onions and garlic are two of the main ones. We want to plant our onions in the fall of the year in October, and we do that as little onion plants that we can put in the ground. It's a long-term crop, and they'll stay there through the winter really don't have to protect them too much. If we were to have a severe freeze, if it were to go down to single digit, you'd want to cover them up. But other than that, most winters, they'll do fine without cover at all. They actually root in and they grow a little bit during the winter. But then as soon as February gets here, they really begin to sprout and grow and start making their onion. Late spring, early summer, then their onions are ready to harvest. In our part of the country, in Georgia, we want to grow short day onions. If you're buying onion seed to start your plants with or you're buying little onion plants to put in the garden, then you want to buy short day varieties, meaning that they'll bulb up or make their onion during uh, short days. I think the line runs probably through Kentucky or somewhere. If you're there north of there, then you would grow long day onions. They'll be uh, identified that way when you see them in seed catalogs or from people who sell the onion plants. They'll be identified as short day onions and long day onions. Garlic is grown from a garlic clove. Take a garlic from the store, especially if you want to buy an organic garlic, and you could just break the cloves apart, plant the clove in the ground. That would work. Or you could buy seed garlic, which is a preferred way to know exactly which variety you're getting and so forth if you did a brought seed garlic. Seed garlic doesn't mean that it's a seed. It just means that it's a garlic clove that bulb that's been grown selected and chosen as a good hardy clove that'll reproduce the next year. They'll be harvested the next May-June. And there are two varieties of those too. There are the soft neck varieties, which are really the best ones for the South. Then the other varieties are hard neck variety. Usually the soft necks are the store better, and they're also a good variety for the Southeast. They tend to do a little better without as much cold treatment. The garlic needs that cold time during the winter to make a good garlic bulb for the next year. Bread on seed packs, referring to DTM, what does that mean? That is really important. Days to maturity, how long it takes for that crop to mature. Mature would be when it's ready to harvest. 
give you an example. If we're going to grow broccoli, for instance, we can get some varieties that will mature within 60 days. If your window of opportunity to grow that broccoli is short, you've got to get the shorter days to maturity varieties. That means from the time you plant it, in this case, it would be a transplant for broccoli. Time you put it in the ground, everything else being equal. Having plant doesn't run into any trouble or you don't have bad weather or whatever, then in about 60 days later, after you put that broccoli transplant into the garden, you should be able to harvest broccoli. For instance, you were thinking about growing broccoli, but it was already 1st of October. You look at the calendar and say, well, the weather's fine right now for me to grow broccoli, but 60 days from now, usually we would have a hard freeze by the end of November. Temperatures are going to start falling, so that's also going to slow it down a little bit. It may make a broccoli head, but it'd be very small. You look at your optimal growing time for each of these crops, and then you look at days of maturity, and you back it up from when you want to harvest it, and that's when you need to be planted in the ground. For our part of the country in the south, which is zone eight, zone eight, that's right, you're going to be planting four or five things that you need to get in the ground first. You want to do your kale, collards, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. You want to get all those in the ground before Labor Day, especially your broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. Because on broccoli, cauliflower, you're making a seed head. And actually, that's what we're eating is eventually going to flower and go to seed. Of course, we don't want to let it go that far. We want to eat it while it's still in bud. Plant will take a good amount of cold weather. If that broccoli head is close to being ready and we have a freeze, it will damage that broccoli head. Get it in the ground, get it finished before a hard freeze comes. We can plant it before Labor Day, the last of August, first of September. We got September and October for it to grow. Then it should finish off the end of October, first of November. Usually we'll beat most of the hard freezes that time of year. We can have a little frost sometime in October sometimes. Our hard freezes usually don't come until sometime in November. So if you can get your broccoli planted and get it harvested before that hard freeze comes, just a lot easier. If you do find yourself in a situation where you have an early freeze, you can have frost at around 32 degrees. Hard freeze is more like 28. If you find yourself in a situation where you think it's going down to 28 degrees and you haven't harvested it yet, you're going to need to cover it. It'll just damage it, turn it black. If the frost gets on it, even though it might not kill the plant, it'll damage your broccoli head and your cauliflower. That would be with a row cover. Covering it with a row cover, or if you don't want to buy that bed sheet, if you just got to cover with something, just a piece of cloth will do good, cover it up. The Brussels sprouts, they need to be planted early because they take forever. The earliest varieties I know of are somewhere in the 90-day range, and most Brussels sprouts take 110 days. The good thing is Brussels sprouts are very frost and freeze tolerant, so they can take a good bit of cold weather. We do want to get those in late August or that first week of September so that they can finish off before December. You won't have as many problems. I've seen some Brussels sprout mature and go on into the winter a little bit, risking a little bit more as it gets colder, a chance for sustained below freezing temperatures at night. If not kill it, it can damage it. The cabbage, most of those varieties will mature a little sooner. You can get 100-day cabbages as well, but I like to stick with some of the 60 days to maturity cabbage so I can get them in and out for real cold weather sets in.
August is rather hot, and that's not going to affect what we'd call a cool season crop. We're always playing against Mother Nature because in the springtime, we're rolling the dice to get our plants in the ground when it's still cool. And in the fall of the year, we're rolling the dice to get our plants in the ground when it's still hot. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like we're always up against that time of year. Those particular ones, if they're already germinated and started plants that you purchase during that time, it's going to be hot. They'll make it. Fall garden is not necessarily a garden that you plant in the fall. A fall garden is a garden that you harvest in the fall. Got to get them in the ground when it's still hot. We want to pay attention to watering, make sure they're real hydrated when they go in. We've soaked root ball good and they're planted. I mulch all of my plants in the garden. You can mulch with shredded leaves or you can mulch with wheat straw. That cools the soil if you keep mulch on the ground around them. Water so they're under stress from lack of water. If you do those things, those type crops will do well. Some of the things that you have to direct seed, like spinach and carrots and things like that, you may have to wait a few more weeks into September or even on up to the 1st of October to direct seed some of those things. They'll do fine planted that late. So you're starting your seed? About mid-July, so about six weeks out, we start our seeds, pot, trays, or cells. Those are called transplants. Transplants, yeah. So you're starting the seeds then. Going about days to maturity a while ago. And sometimes it's confusing because the uh, seed catalog will say days to maturity. And sometimes they're talking about from the time you plant a seed in the ground, if you direct seed it in the garden, sometimes they're talking about a transplant going in the ground. What you need to do is you need to educate yourself a little bit and be a seed catalog reader. (laughs) And seed catalogs have a lot of good information. One of the companies that I buy from a lot and I think has probably one of the best catalogs as far as information on growing and timing and everything is Johnny's Seed. They're online. If you go to johnnyseed.com, you can look and it has growing information, days to maturity. And if you read, you know, dig around and there of each variety and read a little bit, it'll tell you whether that's a day's maturity from planting a seed or planting a plant in the garden. We would plant carrots as a direct seed. We don't usually want to do carrots as a transplant because they'll stun them a lot of times. If you try to put a carrot seed and grow it in a pot and then transplant it, thinks it's still in that pot, I guess, and it just kind of dwarfs it, never elongates, never gets big. I've tried that a few times. It doesn't seem to work too good. Also, you're planting carrots pretty close together. It's not like broccoli or cauliflower, which need to be put about at least a foot apart. You're putting carrot seeds, 10 or 12 or more seeds per foot. Carrots are like 50 days or so. Carrots are really hardy. I would encourage everybody, if you have never planted carrots in the garden in the fall of the year and through the winter months, harvested those carrots, they're some of the sweetest carrots you'll ever eat. Once cold weather comes, it gets sweeter and sweeter as it goes into the winter. In our part of the country, in Zone 8, Georgia, we can leave our carrots in the ground during the winter months. It acts like a root cellar. If you plant a patch of carrots... You can harvest from those carrots, say, starting in late November into December and on into January. Pull the carrots you want every week from that same patch. What will happen is they'll grow in late September, October, November. 
takes them about 60 days. And then once they got sized up good enough to eat, then you just leave them in there. And in that cold weather in December, they're not going to grow much anymore. They're just going to kind of sit there. It's good because then that is just preserving them. Don't have enough cold weather here that you have to worry about heaving and ground freezing deep, that sort of thing. If we were to have unusual Siberian Express come through and it was really, really cold down to single digits or something, then you'd want to throw cover over it. Weather in the upper teens and 20s, they're fine. You don't have to do anything to them. Go out there and harvest a dozen or so carrots for your meal at a time and they'll just keep right there in the ground. If I don't have ground to grow in, maybe a container, what would you recommend doing on that? Well, you can grow most all of these in a container. Some of the things that take up a lot of room, like broccoli and cauliflower, cabbage, all those need at least a square foot each. So they're going to take up a lot of room, but you can grow them in a container. Eight, ten inches deep at least, you can grow carrots in it. One of the neatest things to do with carrots is if you got kids or grandkids or your neighbor's kids or whatever, and you want to introduce them to gardening, is to sow some carrot seeds in a pot. Then be a part of that. Water them in and let them see them grow and mature. When you pull those carrots out of the ground when they're mature, mm-hmm. their eyes just kind of light up, get big. <laughs> this uh, carrot grew in the ground, growing in a pot with a loose potting soil. They'll just pull right out. You don't have to dig them. They usually are fairly clean. Just take that carrot right over to water faucet and wash it off a little bit. And just eat it right there in the garden or on the back patio or whatever. It's a neat learning experience for kids to learn where their food comes from. And they're impressed when you pull a carrot out of the ground. We've had kids visit the garden here. And if it's any time of year when I've got carrots in the ground, I always take them out there and let them pull a carrot out of the ground. And they always get a kick out of that. I can imagine they would. Some of the other things that we can grow in containers are baby leaf lettuce or baby leaf greens in general. They are quick to grow, usually only about four weeks. Things like lettuce, kale, some of the Chinese cabbages, bok choys, and things like that. Rugula, some of your mustards, if you like a little bite, a little spice in your salad, mustards are good in there. Those can be sown in containers. They can be sown in a raised bed. Any kind of pot didn't have to be very deep at all for them to come. We sow those, and they're called cut and come again. Once they're about four weeks old, you can go in there with a pair of scissors, trim off the top a few inches, and you leave about an inch or so crown base, trim it off with a pair of scissors, and a few weeks later, you can come back and cut them again. Go that way for a few times until cold weather sets in in late November, December. Mm -hmm. Get several cuttings off of those. And because they come so fast, you can plant those on into October. So September, October are good times to plant cut and come again vegetable garden. Harvest your salads from. If I'm growing cut and come again gardens, do I need full sun for that or can I have some shade? It's interesting about the sun in a fall garden. And that is one thing that kind of is a plus. Sometimes we'll get more sun in certain areas in the fall and winter months because the leaves are coming off the trees. Area that might not be sunny in the middle of the summer could get some sun wintertime when the leaves are off the trees. You just have to check out your growing Mm -hmm. conditions and where your house or buildings are, maybe blocking the sun. As a general rule, a root or fruit, a root in the fall of the year would be like a carrot, would need more sun, but a leaf... Leafy green can be produced without as much sun. You're going to need a lot of light. You're not going to be able to grow in a real dark shade or a real dark area to produce leafy green, which would be kale, collard, lettuce, cabbage. 
anything that considered a leaf that you're eating, you can grow it with less sun. You can find places in your yard fall of the year and winter maybe that you can grow some things in that you couldn't during the summertime. That oak tree may be too much shade in the summer. Once it loses its leaves in the fall, it may give them some more light. So you can grow things there. What other things can we grow in the fall? There are really a lot of things. The brassica family is what we think about first, and those are the things that are in the cabbage family. Mm-hmm. Kind of confess to you, when I was a younger gardener, I always heard the term cold crops, mm-hmm. and I thought they were saying C-O-L-D, cold crops. I also thought cold slaw was C-O-L-D slaw. It was to get out of the refrigerator when we ate it. thought it was cold slaw. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But it's actually C-O-L-E, and these cold vegetables are cabbages. They're all in the cabbage family. I think it comes from the German Mm -hmm. language, and it's C-O-L-E. So all these cold crops are in the brassica family, which is your cabbage, collard, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. All those are in that same family. That's the main ones we think about planting in the fall of the year. You also can grow something like kohlrabi, which kind of looks like a little spaceship. Anybody's old enough to remember Sputnik, Mm -hmm. first satellite to orbit the Earth from the Russians. It had all these little antennas sticking out everywhere, and that's kind of what kohlrabi looks like. It has a main bulb or a main turnip-looking center to it and all these leaves coming out around the sides. It's really a great vegetable. It can be grown in the fall of the year. Your Chinese vegetables, a lot of your bok choys and Chinese cabbages can be grown in the fall of the year. Of course, all your lettuces do good. Leaf lettuces, as well as some of your romaines. Talked about our little baby leaf lettuce you can grow in the fall of the year. I actually grow a variety called uh, Salanova exclusively from Johnny Seed. It's kind of a bib-type lettuce. It has more crunch to it than a lot of the leaf lettuces. We really enjoy that one, and our customers really like it. Spinach goes in late September. We have kind of wait. The ground cools off a little bit. Baby spinach can be like 28 days. Bigger leaf of spinach, you can harvest 50 days maturity. Arugula can be grown in the fall of the year. Carrots, of course, in the fall. Radishes. I don't have a lot of experience growing. It's a little bit tricky, but you can grow English peas in the fall of the year. You're not going to be able to get them started too early because they don't like it hot. They won't stand the hot weather. If you can get them in and get them finished before real cold weather, they'll do well. So look for your short days to maturity on those. Turnip uh, and turnip greens we grow in the fall. Turnips, we grow a variety called Hakurai turnip, which is a Japanese salad turnip. It's completely white, and you gather those when they're about two, two and a half inches big. Tops are good for turnip greens to eat. It's fine, but the, the turnip itself is very mild. If anybody's ever objected to the taste of like a purple top turnip, didn't like the taste of a turnip, they should try these Hakurai turnips or Japanese salad turnips because they have a very mild taste. Rutabagas can be grown in the fall of the year. We have a lot of things that we can plant during that time. Beets is another one that we can grow in the fall of the year. There's just a lot of things that can be grown. Some of our most healthy vegetables Mm -hmm. to eat grow in those cooler months of the year. In the summer months, garden bugs and critters are a big concern. Is there a challenge for those also in the fall garden? Never get away from things that like to eat our plants. I always tell people if there's something that we like to grow to eat or something that's pretty to look at, there's critters out there that like it too. We do have to be concerned about some pests. The biggest pests we'll have 
on most of these is cabbage worm mm-hmm. or cabbage caterpillar. September, you'll see these little butterflies come into your garden, and they're not the big ones. They're a little small, white, with a little dark spots on them, and sometimes they'll be yellow. They don't flutter. They don't fly in a straight line. They, they zigzag all over. They're nice to look at, but what they're doing is the females, anyway, are laying eggs on your cabbage, and broccoli, and cauliflower, and attracted to all those things in the brassica family. They're laying eggs there. Time of the year when it's going to be the most prevalent is going to be in September, late August, September, right after you plant. Get them in the ground. They'll come search them out during that time. As it gets later in the season, closer to harvest time, you won't see them as much. The insect pressure goes away a lot during that time of year. There are some organic remedies we can use. First of all, we want to be sure that we're planting lots of flowers and things in the garden to bring in predators because there are parasitic wasps and there are hoverflies and things like that where the females of those insects will lay eggs on the cabbage looper. When those eggs hatch, they eat up the cabbage looper. Planting lots of flowers in the garden, lots of things that produce pollen and nectar for the beneficial insects is our first line of defense. We can also use exclusion, combat that, because if you can keep that butterfly from laying its eggs on the cabbage to begin with, then we can keep the cabbage free of the cabbage loop. The way to do that is you go to your row cover, but in this case, you buy one that's specifically for insect protection. Very lightweight. If you held your hand on one side, you could see your hand through it, so it lets light through. You have to secure it to the ground all the way around. Really good about getting in and little cracks and crevices and close it within that cover. Then that works real good to exclude that butterfly from getting in and laying her eggs on your crop. It has to be not touching the cloth because I've actually seen them light on the cloth. And if your cabbage leaf is touching the cloth, they'll lay that egg right through that cloth, right on it. You have some kind of structure, like a little hoop, A lot of people will use heavy gauge wire. Some people will take half inch PVC pipe, push it in the ground on both sides and make a little hoop out of it. We have fiberglass rods that we buy for that purpose. You push them in the ground on one side and bend them over, push them in the ground on the other side and make some hoop over it. Then you secure your netting cloth over the top of that. Usually it's harder to find this local, but if you buy it online for floating row cover and buy the lightweight, keeps insects off those plants. Works good on the leafy green vegetables because we don't have to have pollination there. We're not letting like a squash, we can't cover it up the whole time or we're excluding the pollinators that would pollinate the blooms. There's no bloom that we're trying to produce on a cabbage. We're just growing leafy greens, so it works good for that. And the third line of defense there would be to use some type of organic remedy to poison the caterpillars. The safest one I know of to use is called BT, and that stands for Bacillus thuringiensis. It's been around for ages, very safe to use. It mainly attacks the caterpillars. It doesn't hurt a lot of the other beneficial insects. Diapel is one of the trade names. You can buy it as a powder and mix it with water. It's uh, flowable. You can also buy it as a liquid, dilute it with water, and you spray that onto the cabbage or broccoli, whatever you're trying to protect. When the little worm begins to eat it, he takes in naturally occurring bacteria, and that stops him up, and he can't digest his food. 
He'll quit eating usually within a day, and within a couple of days, he dries up and dies. It's target-specific to caterpillars. That's good in that sense, so you don't hurt a lot of your beneficial insects. Those are some of the things we can do to keep insects off. Occasionally, you'll run into aphids, especially when it's warm in September. I would recommend using insecticidal soap. It's soap, but it's not got detergent in it. Not like Dawn dishwashing soap. Dawn would have detergent. The detergent part could burn the leaves of your plants if it's too strong. This insecticidal soap is sold specifically for spraying on plants, so it's not toxic to the plant. And you have to coat the insect with it. You have to spray it on the underside of the leaf if it's an aphid on the underside and actually get it on the insect and that clogs up all its pores and it suffocates. It's not a poison. You're just... uh, suffocating the aphids by doing that. Those are your two main pests that you have besides your four-legged ones like deers and rabbits that like to get in and eat them. Between the BT and the soap, you can usually do pretty good at keeping most of your fall garden free of insects and it works really well. For the deer and the rabbits, the best thing we've found is to fence them out some way. Even if you've got a small garden, you can buy some of this garden netting put around it. Remember, if deer can jump high, they usually don't like to jump a long ways especially if they see a double fence. So I've seen gardeners put up even a four-foot netting and then skip over four or five feet and put up another little fence, a little netting, four foot away from it, and you kind of have a double barrier. And it sounds like a lot of work, but it's usually a little easier to do two low fences than it is to try to get a 10-foot fence, which is what it takes to keep them from jumping over the top. You can buy this deer netting. It's almost like a bird netting. It's lightweight, and so it doesn't take a big post to put it up. You can usually put it up with rods and metal stakes and things that aren't so big to hold it up. You'd use the double fence. That'll eliminate some of that. It'll help keep the rabbits out. Sometimes if you've got a really bad case of rabbits, you might have to put wire, keep them from chewing through the netting. That works pretty good. Keeping the deer out, keeping the rabbits out are your two main four-legged pests that gets into the fall garden. Is there anything particular that we need to know about the soil? I'm all about the soil. Everything we do in the garden needs to be to build up better garden soil. Everything about the plant is going to be directly related to the soil. The nutrition, when we eat the leaves of the cabbage, the heads of the broccoli, we're eating it, we're growing it for ourselves, and we're eating it when we want it to be as nutritious as we can. And to do that, we need a very nutritious soil. In fact, you won't have as many insects and diseases if you've got a good, healthy soil that feeds the plant correctly. It's really like our bodies. If we get enough sleep and we exercise like we should and we eat healthy, we're not going to always eliminate disease, but we'll be much more disease resistant. We won't get sick as often. If we do get sick, we get over it quicker. Plants are the same way. If they've got the right kind of nutrition, all their nutrition is coming out of the soil, they're going to be healthier and they're going to be able to fight off a lot of things and they're going to be able to feed us better. I always encourage people to add organic matter to the soil. You need to be planting with compost, putting that in the ground. If your summer garden is finishing up in August and you're pulling out things, then that's a good time to add compost to the soil. Most of these brassicas and a lot of these things are pretty heavy feeders, meaning that they like a lot of nutrition. Compost by itself, unless it has a lot of manure in it, is going to need more fertilizer. We recommend using organic fertilizers. They can be made from things like feather meal, which is chicken feathers that have been ground up and processed to make fertilizer out of. It can be phosphorus and potassium that were mined out of the ground. 
We have a fair amount of phosphorus in our soils here, so we use a product called Nature Safe 1028, 10% nitrogen, 2% phosphorus, and 8% potassium. We mix that into the soil, and whatever kind of organic fertilizer is available to you, there's a variety that's pretty well known called Espoma, E-S-P-O-M-A is the brand name. They make a lot of different types of fertilizers for the garden. They make one for the vegetable garden. Follow the recommendations for the higher rate for these fall brassica plants. They're going to need it. That cabbage and broccoli will perform better if they have a little higher nutrition. Sometimes you need that application on maybe even a week or so before you plant. Organic fertilizers take a little longer to become available in the soil. They have to be broke down by the microorganisms in the soil for them to become available to plants. So sometimes it's a good idea to get your soil ready ahead of time and put your fertilizer out a week or two ahead of the crop that you're going to plant. If you feel like you need to or you don't have a good color green to it, you can come back in several weeks later and and side dress with a little more fertilizer as you go into the growing season with the plant. Be sure to keep them well fed. Probably one of the reasons for people having tiny little broccoli heads or cabbage heads that don't mature right is the fact they just hadn't got enough nutrition. They hadn't been fed enough. They're heavy feeders. You need to have enough nutrition in there to, for them to make a fully formed head of cabbage or broccoli. That's the nitrogen that does that? Mostly the nitrogen, but it's also a balance of all three. It's mostly the nitrogen. You don't want to go to the extreme and overdo it because you can juice them up too much. Follow the recommendations, add a little bit more later if you feel like it's not growing as well or you don't have the green color that you need. I would say buy the more complete fertilizers with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and not just nitrogen. Good way is to start off with the higher recommended rates and then add a little bit more if you need to. You may be getting enough, depending on what kind of compost you added. You can always add a little more as the growing season matures. I know some farmers, some growers, when they see their broccoli begin to form, it'll be about as big as a button down in the center of the plant. That's a clue to them to add a little more fertilizer right there toward the end of the crop to make that broccoli head get a little bigger as it's forming. A little bit into the growing season as it grows may help Mm -hmm. to give you that bigger broccoli head. We always say we're trying for a one-pound head. That's our goal is to have a one-pound head of broccoli. You get side shoots off your broccoli. If you cut the main head out, you'll get little side shoots on it. The main show is going to be that first big head that you get. Cauliflower and the cabbage is a one and done. You'll see little small sprouts on the cabbage every once in a while. They'll, you'll get about as big as your thumb. They're edible, but they're not very big. Pretty much your cabbage and your cauliflower are one and done. Harvest it, then it's over with. The broccoli will have a few side shoots that you might can keep harvesting on into the winter a little bit. You have your transplants and you're ready to put them in the ground. Is there something you need to do to them to prep them to go in the ground? Then how deep do you plant them in the ground? Brassicas and things like that are usually when they sprout. What I always find with them is their little stem elongates a little bit, even if you got them in bright light when you sprout them. They sometimes will have a little bit of a long stem to them. It doesn't hurt to bury that a little bit. You don't want to go overboard, but you can put it down an inch or two. Vegetables are a little bit different than ornamentals. Never want to plant a tree or shrub any deeper than what it was growing in the container. Vegetables, we can get by with planting them a little deeper sometimes, depending on what it is. 
I always want to make sure that I water them really well before they go out to the garden. I always soak them really good. A lot of times I'll even use a mixture of fish emulsion. That's one of the liquid organic fertilizers that we use. Not real heavy, but make sure that the roots are completely soaked. Then as soon as we plant and bring the soil and ferment around the plant, then we want to water it in immediately and get this ground good and soaked all around it. Because remember, we're planting these probably in the hottest part of the year. Late August can be brutal, 90 degrees. So if you can get out there early, early in the morning or late in the afternoon, make sure the plants are well hydrated going into the ground and make sure the ground that you're planting in, you soak it in good after you plant it so that there's no dry spots around it to suck off that moisture. Then I always mulch mine and shredded leaves are real good or wheat straw. That gets the sun off of the soil. It shades that soil and, and makes it a little cooler so you don't lose as much water to evaporation around the plant. Then you just got to keep a real close eye on them after you first plant them to make sure they're not drying out. We might be having afternoon thunder showers every day, or we might be in a drought where you won't get rain for several weeks at a time. So we just have to really pay attention to the watering once we get them in the ground. You take the transplant out of the pot. Do you pinch it or do anything like that to it before you plant it? It depends. I always tell people that we should grow our transplants and get them in the garden just like an airplane takes off. Start rolling down the runway and the airplane builds up speed and builds up speed. And then finally it takes off and it's real smooth. Air gets under the wings and here it goes into there. If you grow that seedling the same way, started off and it germinated and it started growing and it got a little bigger and a little bigger. If you transplant it at the right time and put it in the ground, it just takes off. It's like an airplane. It lifts right off and starts to grow. Mm -hmm. If you leave it in the pot too long or if you're buying it from a nursery or a store somewhere and, and they're root bound, they've been stunted a little bit. They've been held back, throttled back a little bit take it out of the pot and you see the soils there and you've got a heavy mat of white roots that are all bound together, yeah, you do need to tease them apart a little bit to make sure that they're going to branch out into the soil. But if they're just held together, they're rooted good, they're holding the soil together, but there's not this big mat of roots, then it's fine just to put them right in the ground like that. It's the ideal. You don't want it to stay in that pot too long. Don't go buy them at the store one week and keep them for two weeks before you get them in the garden. Look at them in the store when you're picking them out at the nursery or whatever and just slide one out and see how root bound it is. Or if they look stunted or like been in that pot for too long, not going to say they will die. They're not going to say that they won't make it, but uh, set them back when you do that. If they're root bound, yeah, tease it apart a little bit. But other than that, you can just put them right in the ground. They'll be fine. Where you finish growing for the seasons, you're not going to put a fall garden in and you're all over the whole area that you did a summer garden or you're into the fall season growing. What do you need to do to put those beds to rest over the winter? Well, I don't let them rest. Plant something on them. It's good to keep some roots in the ground and something green and growing on top of the ground all the time. We would mm -hmm. call that a cover crop. If we're going into the fall of the year and say you've got a portion of your garden where you're not planting any fall vegetables, don't leave that ground bare. You can plant things like clover, vetch, rye, and all those things will grow through the winter month. The rye and the vetch are legumes. They'll produce nitrogen through a biological process. They'll fix nitrogen out of the atmosphere and feed the soil nitrogen. Rye is not a legume, but it has a massive root system. It sends roots really deep into the ground. You're feeding the biology in the soil. 
got all these little microbes in there and they're dependent upon something green and growing above them to take in the sunshine and make the photosynthesis to be able to feed them through the winter months. They'll keep the soil alive. They'll keep those microbes going if you've got something green and growing on top of the ground. Cover crop is a great way to do that. Then that lasts through the winter. Then the next spring, you terminate it or kill it off. You can do that several ways. Some people till it into the soil. I'd rather use a no-till method where I just cut it off at ground level, and then I throw a tarp over it for a few weeks. Let that tarp starve out the sunshine or the light, and it'll kill off the cover crop. Then all of those roots that were underground and all those nodules that formed on the roots of the clover and the vetch, all that's going to be released to the next crop that's growing. Those roots that are in the ground are, are rotting, and that's organic matter that you're adding to the soil. You're adding organic matter back to the soil from those rotted roots from that rye that grew there all winter. Then you plant right in that. You don't necessarily have to till that again. You can just dig a hole and plant your plant in for the next one. Or if you want to add a little compost over the top of it and seed into that, you can do that. Doing the cover crops through the winter keeps something looking good too. Those are big green and the clover will bloom the next spring. If you don't do that, you're going to have henbit and chickweed and everything else growing in there. So why not grow something that'll really do your garden a lot of good through the winter? How do you handle old plant debris? Depends on what was there earlier. Sometimes we'll just cut it off. Got a big, heavy stem to it. We might pull it up if it's going to be in the way of the next crop. I try to leave as much the stem and the root as I can just so it'll rot back into the soil. And if you got good microbes going in your soil, it'll decay it pretty fast. But say, for instance, things that you might have problems with disease, like tomatoes is notorious for having diseases in the summertime. We usually don't leave those in the garden. We cut them off at ground level and haul those away. They're eat up with fungus and leaf spot and things like that. We try to take them off the farm or at least to the backside, way away from the garden. Not a bad idea if you've got a small vegetable garden, not to compost that, to actually put those into a garbage bag. Let that one go to the landfill because you don't want to keep spreading that disease from one year to the next. It's going to be enough of it around anyway. If it hadn't got a lot of disease on it, you can either cut it down, let it lay on the ground and rot, or you can cut it down and take it to the compost pile and compost it, cycle through and use it for the next year. For the most part, our system is a no-till system, so we don't till it up. We just cut it off at ground level and, and leave the roots in the ground. Do you do that by hand or do you run a mower over it? We do it with a mower. You can do it with a weed eater. Okay. It's a heavy stalk, something like okra. You can use a blade on a weed eater and get it down close. We're actually starting to use a flail mower on a little two-wheel tractor. That's how we do it here. But if somebody doesn't have that equipment, you just use a weed eater, lawnmower. You can do it by hand. Got okra, you can take your pruners, your loppers, and just get right down at ground level and chop it off. Tomato stems, same way. You can cut it with whatever pruning instrument you want leaves of uh, beans or something in there. You can run your lawnmower over it. Feel powerful enough to chew it up good. Smith Summer, what's been going on at Country Gardens Farm? Last weekend, had a taste of the farm uh, on Saturday. We uh, featured tomatoes. We had folks come in and we had tomato pie, pico de gallo, dried tomatoes, roasted tomatoes, had bruschetta. We had all these dishes fixed with different types of tomato dishes. I helped, but he did most of the work <laughs> and fixed all those things. Put them all out. We got a pavilion that screened in and people come in and they come through and she gives out her recipes and we post most of those on our blog, on our website. 
just to show people that tomatoes are a versatile dish and we can use them for things other than just a tomato sandwich. <laughs> Got a lot of uses. She talked about preserving tomatoes and how to can and freeze and do some different things. So it was it's kind of a drop-in that people come in from 10 to 2. And we did try to do those like once a month. We've got another one coming up late August is going to be on okra. And the whole day will be different okra dishes and how to have okra besides just fried okra. We'll talk about the origins of okra and where it came from, the history, and some of the uh, different varieties. We grow a red okra in the garden, and some people are surprised to see red okra sometimes. Every month we try to, during the growing season anyway, we don't always do it through the middle of winter, we try to feature a different taste of the farm, something different every month. We're going to be doing some fall gardening classes, do a lot of those on Saturdays, and find out about that through our newsletter. We have a list of all the classes we're doing. Midsummer's been really busy. We've had a lot of different vegetables coming off. We just got through picking corn this week. So we had sweet corn and tomatoes and green beans and okra. And we're still eating our sweet onions that we harvested back early in the season. And our garlic is ready. Some weeks we've had as many as 15, 18 different vegetables at farm stand everywhere. So has it been a bumper crop year? It's been a good year. Yeah. We've had, it's, it's not without its challenges. It's been a good year overall. When it rains, the farmer always said it's raining too much. And if it doesn't rain, we'd say it's not raining enough. So <laughs> <laughs> never happy. <laughs> it's either too much or too little rain. But overall, we've had enough rain. We're not in a drought. We had some dry weeks, but we must have expected. I say we're in the jungle sometimes. The high humidity and it has caused some tomato diseases. We've got some leaf spots. I think I calculated the other day we picked over a ton of tomatoes so far still picking so we'll probably hit three or four thousand pounds this year tomatoes wow. that's one of our most popular vegetables we've got a lot of customers who wait till our tomatoes are ready before they <laughs> before they come to see us <laughs> we've talked about learning something new every day in the garden what have you learned this growing season biggest thing i'm learning right now is how to invite more insects into the garden, how to understand our ecosystem, how we can't hit Mother Nature over the head with a sledgehammer. We've got to coax things along and cooperate with Mother Nature. All these little beneficial insects that come into your garden to either pollinate your crops or to keep some of the bad bugs in check. It's interesting to learn about them. Going through the garden, I'm trying to catch a few of them and look at them under my lens, see if I can identify them and learn about their life cycles and what they eat. The common denominator is you've got to have food, water, and shelter. How's the best way to provide that? All our beneficials. That's our biggest thing I'm learning more about all the time. And we're planting different kinds of native plant and wildflowers to bring more bugs into the garden. Kind of sounds counterintuitive. The more bugs, the more species of bugs you have, the more good bugs you'll have that help keep the bad bugs in check. That's been a big thing to learn for me. Sounds like you got a second book on the way. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I read your first book, Seven Steps to an Organic Vegetable Garden. That is a great book. It's so simple and easy to understand. It is just straightforward, boiled down to the basics. So many principles in there, horticulture, not only for vegetable gardening, but for just ornamental gardening. The things you say you like to look at and things you like to eat are the things that's you right. fabulous book. I recommend that just absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. 
Yeah, I think it's required reading for any gardener. I mean, I've been in this business and landscape and horticulture end of of this for 35 years, and I learn things new in there, and it refreshes some things in my mind. I just believe it is a, a wonderful book, and you can get that on your website, right? That's right. You can order it off the website. Ten dollars for the book, ship it to you free. My wife was one that really encouraged me to keep writing that book. And she said, you're answering these questions over and over again <laughs> every day and trying to help people understand. And gardening is, is not one thing that you learn. It's a puzzle you're putting together. You have all these different pieces of the puzzle and they all have it together. I tried to boil it down to seven different steps in order to do that. And I think if you're a beginning gardener, you, you need the fundamentals. And if you're an experienced gardener, you need to refresh on the fundamentals. We can dive off deep into things that are uh, technical, and that's good. I do that sometimes, just like playing ball. You got to come back to the fundamentals. You got to know how to do the basics and whatever it is that you're doing. And if you're having troubles, go back and look at your, your basics, your fundamentals. Mike, tell us about Country Gardens Farm and how people may contact you. Country Gardens Farm is an organic farm. We're about halfway between Noonan and Peachtree City, Georgia. We're on the web at uh, countrygardensfarm.com, and we're also active on Facebook and Instagram. The farm is open on Fridays and Saturdays for the public to come in and buy our vegetables. We grow a variety of milk, meat, eggs, and lots of vegetables, and we sell all that directly to the the public. You have a learning component also, don't you? That's right. We like to say we like to teach people how to grow, cook, and preserve good food. Way to stay up to date on that is to subscribe to our newsletter. And you can do that at the website when you go to countrygardensfarm.com and there's a place there where you can put your email address in. And every Thursday, we'll send you an email, tell you what's available at the farm that weekend and dates you can write down for classes that you might be interested in. We also have something called Taste of the Farm that we have about once a month. We uh, feature different vegetables or meats or things that we grow here on the farm and have samplings so people can come in. My wife will cook different dishes and depending on what particular vegetable is that month, they have free samples for them to take. And all that's available in the newsletter. We also have a CSA subscription, which is subscribing to get a bag of uh, vegetables or meat and milk and eggs every week. That's called a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. You're supporting the farm and the farmers provide you with a weekly subscription of good food to eat. It runs 10 weeks at a time and you re-sign up again each time and uh, get to go for another 10 weeks. That's how we sell the majority of what we grow here on the farm, but we also have a lot of people just walk in on Fridays and Saturdays to shop from our farm stand. This is episode 73, Fall Organic Vegetable Gardening with Mike Cunningham. Thank you, Mike. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.